What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Man in the Arena podcast. Make sure to follow us on Primal Baseball, P-R-I-M-A-L-B-S-B-L, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and we got a lot of, of new content coming out, so be on the lookout for that stuff. Today, really excited to get to get going on the podcast. We have another guest, Jordan Osagera, and he is with armcare.com. And I'm going to turn it over without further ado and let Jordan introduce himself. Yeah, so uh, my name is Jordan Oseguera. Um, I am the director of pitching and performance, whatever you want, whatever that kind of needs to be uh, for armcare.com. Uh, We're a part of Crossover Symmetry. We're the same group. Uh, so that's why you, people always wonder, you know, when we see the crossover stuff, we always see this guy, Matt, kind of doing everything on both ends. It's because we're the same group. So, uh, and then you go to the ABCA, we share the same booth, obviously. Um, but yeah, prior to that, what I was doing is, you know, I played baseball. I grew up out here in Salt Lake City, Utah, played at Taylorsville High School, was able to go to College of Southern Idaho, transferred to Vanguard University, and then from there, uh, was able to play in all the leagues you don't want to play in, uh, in Mexico and you know, Southern Texas and all these little, you know, small little minor leagues, you know, indie ball that pay you yeah. borderline nothing, yeah. uh, but played in those. And then I started my coaching career, went back to Vanguard University, was a pitching coach there all while working under the National Pitching Association with Tom House uh, for about eight years. And then I was with the Angels for six years where I had a variety of roles from rookie ball coach to working in the draft room to assistant programs coordinator to pitching analyst to a whole bunch of other things. And then when that ended, uh, I had the opportunity to come on to arm care. And I've been here since uh, roughly 2020 and uh, early 2021, maybe somewhere right in that range. Uh, but obviously been seeing the product grow and teaching people how to use the system and really understanding what this data does and why it is impactful. I'm, I'm really interested. I really wanted to get into, you know, before we move on to the arm care stuff, I want to get into your, your baseball career. And I'm really curious to see, you know, whether you play, did you play multiple sports in high school? And then, you know, when is the first time that, that you fell in love with the game of baseball? Like how young and, and do you remember that moment? Yeah, so it's I've always done baseball, um, pretty much my entire life. Uh, my so my dad wrestled growing up, and I'm pretty sure the only time that I've my dad's been like he's a little disappointed in me was when I quit wrestling. As, as soon as they handed out singlets, I was like, ah, I don't know if that's for me. You know, I was I was done. So I played a little bit of basketball, but not a lot of you know five foot seven Latins playing basketball. So yeah, that's fair. Pretty All quickly, right. I learned that wasn't really for me. Yeah. Um, but you know, baseball, basketball, wrestling. Um, did a little bit of those, but everything always kind of funneled back to baseball. And in reality, if it interfered with baseball, it just wasn't something that I really liked doing. Um, so I always found myself doing baseball. So I don't know how young I was when I was going, this is what I want to do. But yep. I also remember when I was in elementary school, I had you know a teacher call my parents and say, hey, your kid's throwing tennis balls into the wall at recess. Like, what's, go like, what's the deal? They're like, I don't know. That's just what he does. So that's just always kind of been how I am. <laughs> yeah. I I mean, I don't see it. I don't see anything wrong with throwing a tennis ball into a wall. That's that's a fun thing to do. Is that not like, <laughs> I, I, if you told me that that was what I get to do for an hour, I would like be very pleased with that. Like yeah, that so seems like a great that's way. That's always kind of what I've been into is is baseball. It's the only sport I can sit down and watch. I I couldn't tell you what's going on in anything else, but I, yep. I I pay attention to baseball. Yep. And and when you started when you started moving from the playing to coaching career, how how did that experience and that opportunity and interest maybe arise in, in your life? So it, it got put in my head. It, uh, 
at a relatively early age. So with my relationship with Tom House, he had helped me um, get into the uh, Vanguard University because the pitching coach there is by the name of Randy Wishmeyer. Uh, had known Tom for a while and you know, made a phone call, said, hey, I got a, a right-hander who throws strikes. He'll be able to help you out. So I was in there. Then when I got to the point of graduating and I had signed a professional contract uh, at the time I was playing for the – they don't even have a team anymore, the Tijuana Cimarrones. Yep. Um, I was playing in Tijuana, Mexico, and I remember talking to Tom, and he went, look, you, you end up getting lucky being able to keep playing. He goes, there's going to come a point where nobody wants you, and it's probably going to show up quick. And at that point, you're going to want to start learning how to coach. And he kind of had the vision of being in the front office, which I did a little bit of. Um, and, it, you know, it's a fun job. Uh, but it kind of got put in my head. Probably I was about 21-ish when Tom said, hey, look, you're probably not going to be able to make too much money playing this game, but you can make a little more coaching the game if you want to end up getting into that. So I started considering it then. And, you know, as soon as I had finished, um, I just gotten released from, uh, I mean, El Paso, Texas was a an, an independent ball team at the time. Now with the Padres, I was part of, part of their affiliates. And I just gotten released from El Paso, went back to California, started training with uh, with Tom again. He said, look, let's, let's actually give this a go on coaching and start coming around here to coach instead of to train. And, started doing that and really fell in love with it. And everything kind of lined up perfect for me to get back into coaching and the team aspects as well over at Vanguard uh, University, uh, my alma mater. And, you know, we had the new coaching staff there. Me and Rob Pegg kind of were in charge of building that program up a little bit. So everything kind of lined up perfect, but it got put in my head at a pretty, pretty early on into my playing aspect. And I know, you know, from, from just um, researching you, you were with the angels for a little bit and did a, did a couple jobs with them. You, it looked like pitching analyst, and and then I'm not sure what the other what the other title was, but I know that you were you were there as a as a coach. Could you maybe talk about your experience with working with an MLB team and 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 yeah, that's I'm really curious about that. Yeah, so it's it's a lot different than college baseball because I was uh, obviously left midway through the season because um, obviously spring training had, had been going by the time I had taken my my contract for about five or six days. So my first year with the Angels. Um, I was a had a weird hybrid title every single year. Yeah. Um, so I reported predominantly to um, you know the front office my first year. I was located in our high A affiliate at the time. It was Inland Empire. I believe that's now low A. I can't remember where it's at right now. And Inland Empire, really cool ballpark. If you ever get a chance to go to the California League, there's some of my favorite ballparks in that league. Um, but I was there and I was located there because then I could travel back and forth to Anaheim a little easier. I was living in orange California at the time. Uh, but I was in Inland empire as a fourth coach. So I would write scouting reports. I would work with pitchers on the field. And some of the big notable guys I had there that year was Keenan Middleton, Jake Jewell, uh, Justin Anderson, some guys that all went from on the cusp of almost not breaking camp to all of them got to the big leagues. Really cool experience seeing those guys progress. Um, and then from that point, I would go in and write reports on our trade targets that we would see. And then I would have someone from the front office call, whoever it may be, and say, hey, we need you to go check out this guy. And it would be an amateur side. And I would write reports on the amateur side. And I was in charge of putting together our evaluative process that first year on projecting velocity for our draft. So I had a lot tasked on me for having this weird hybrid role in my first year. And there was a lot of it where I was just kind of naive and I didn't really know what was going on Yeah, because you're right. kind of just going like, well, okay, I got to grade this guy out. This is what I think he's going to throw all these things. And then I get a phone call on the draft day and it's the GM going, Hey, we're going to take your guys. So I'm going, Oh, what, what was I, I don't know what I was doing, you know? 
And then as I keep learning more, it's like, okay, I was in charge of doing this stuff. It wasn't really explained to me. And then once they realized they, I, was, I was pretty decent at it, they kept giving me more and more and more. My job titles were changing as I went. So my second year, I was the assistant programs coordinator, and they had me stationed in Arizona. And I would travel out to affiliates and kind of work with special projects to where we would sign guys who had just been released or got passed over in the draft that we would say, if we do – you know, A, B, and C with these guys, I think we're going to get more velo, we're going to get more strikes, and that's going to be the key to getting that guy to the next level. Um, so we had some really cool experiments that got to the big leagues with, you know, not just our org, but other organizations that turned out really well. And there's a really good learning experience, and I was still involved with the draft, um, did a lot. And then the other guy who's with me here, Arm Care Ryan Croton, uh, me and him were in the performance integration department where we took all these measurables and, uh, you know, objective data points and we'd funnel those into a draft pro, uh, um, uh, with our scouts and funnel this into kind of an analytics thing. Um, and we would take our guys off of that. So obviously, you know, some of those guys that came out of that was Brandon Marsh, who's crushing it with the Phillies right now. Yeah. Um, Kyle Bradish with the Orioles. Um, so those are guys that we would we acquired them. They did really well. We traded them. Got some really cool stuff out of them. And, you know, on a random side note, that's kind of where the arm care stuff started off with is we were using a lot of dynamometry data. Uh, Bradish was a guy who was a big kind of target of going, if we get him a little bit stronger, we're going to get more velo and more strikes. Uh, gosh, there was a ton of guys that came out of that. Jeremy Beasley pitched in the big leagues with a couple teams playing in Japan right now. Yep. Um, gosh, this is just Troy Scribner was one of those guys too. Who's a pretty good pitching coach right now. Uh, working in the Midwest, I believe, but you know, a lot of guys coming out of just that, you know, early stages of beginning with arm care and learning dynamometry and figuring some of that stuff out. So I know I rambled a little bit, but I think I answered what you asked me. <laughs> Perfect. We, we, we ramble a lot on the podcast and it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's conversation and, and it's great information and knowledge for everyone that's listening to understand and, and it's context for the background. So don't, don't be afraid to ramble at all. I'm kind of curious about what you, what you look for, right? You were talking about like, seeing guys and being like, Oh, we think this guy could be better. He just, and, and we could work with this command velocity. Like what is the baseline? Um, and maybe more for the college guys listening, like what is, what is the baseline that you were looking for and saying, Hey, this guy might have something. What is, you know, just that baseline that, that gets your eye. Yeah. So it all depends on what you're looking for. So and me and Ryan have these discussions. I mean, just before we jumped on this phone call, me and Ryan were talking for about an hour on some of the um, the, the projects we're working on with Arm Care, on some of the consulting things that go on with some of the other yep. MLB orgs we do stuff with. And we were talking, you know, if you're drafting a guy based on he needs to develop X amount of tools or is he already a ready-cut project? So, you know, some of the good examples would be um, – I won't use names, but we had a left-hander yep. in the 2020 draft. We took a left-hander in the 2020 draft, and when we had signed this guy, we go, we don't know what we're going to actually make better on him. So he either gets to the big leagues quick, and we see what he does, but we don't know what we would do to actually improve this guy. So we had signed him knowing that we're not really looking for anything on this guy, as opposed to, you know, we had, and I won't use the name of this next athlete, but there was an athlete who had extreme athletic properties. He was a left-hander out of uh, Puerto Rico, actually. Um, but he had extreme athletic properties. He could jump. He could sprint. He was throwing 94 yep. as a 17-year-old. He was so young when we signed him, his parents had to actually sign for him. Um, uh, but he was an early draft pick, you know, threw hard. He had every, a great fastball, but no off-speed whatsoever. 
So that was the guy that we knew you fit our, our delivery. We know that we want this. We don't need to teach you mechanics. So we have to teach this guy a breaking ball and a changeup or three and four pitches of something. It didn't work out. Uh, but then there's other guys that you look at and you go, you know what, we're going to acquire this guy because we only need to teach him one thing and we can pay him a moderate amount and we know we can get him to the big leagues in about a year and a half, two years, as opposed to that young uh, Puerto Rican player who goes, he's a gamble. I know to get him out of this university, we have to pay him a lot of money. But if we hit on it and he learns two more pitches, yeah, this is huge for the organization. Yeah. So there's always some gamble involved and nobody's got a crystal ball. Um, and one of the things that we did with the performance integration uh, department that we, uh, Ryan and I were, were really div- di- diving into was we, w- we wanted to polish the crystal ball for the scouts. So now the scouts could look at things and they go, you know what? Our organization's really good at developing A, B, and C. We're really awful at developing D, E, and F. So understanding what you're good and bad at in your organization really helped us kind of polish that crystal ball and going – Man, you know, for instance, let's say that our, you know, four of our coaches were really good at developing changeups. I know that if we draft a guy who already has a good breaking ball and a good fastball, we're probably going to teach that guy a changeup. So we can sign off on him, send him to our affiliate coaches, and we know they're going to do a good job of teaching that changeup. On the other hand, let's just say we're really bad at teaching a cutter, and we view that if we add our analytics department runs and says if we add a cutter to this guy, he is going to be our number four starter in. 2025 <laughs> we're horrendous at teaching cutters, yeah. so i wouldn't take that bet so you know it's it's understanding your strengths but even more important knowing those weak points of what it is you're doing on the development side because those are kind of what progress you forward and really get the most juice for juice for the squeeze out of your out of your player development product uh product that you're producing um because i wouldn't say there's one group that is head and shoulders above the next on the player development aspect side of it everyone's playing the same deck of cards it's just a matter of putting those players in the right position. With all the work you're doing, you're just allowing your organization to kind of take as much guessing out of it as you can. I mean, obviously, it's a, it's, there's the human element, and, and with performance, you can never be 100% sure, but it, it's just trying to get closer to a more well-rounded decision is, is what I'm taking away from that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's the same thing, like when you're coaching in college and you are you know picking – you're, you're starting to assign and make offers on scholarship is you're trying to get the players that fit your system and fit your coaching styles and fit what you know you can teach to where, you know, if you have a guy, you know, and I'll use an example as we had a, a guy for us when I was coaching, you know, we had Sean Isaac who we could, we knew he was going to pitch really well. He had everything we we're looking for. We gave him a good scholarship offer. He ended up pitching in AAA. He's the double A coach with uh, uh, the Red Sox right now. And then we have another player who. It's like, hey, you got a good fastball, but you don't really throw strikes. We can give that guy less money because we know we have to invest that time into him, and it may not work out. So it's almost the same whether you're a high school kid trying to get to college or a college kid trying to get into pro ball or even that high school you know, prospect yeah. that has a chance to go either way is making yourself the least amount of project you possibly can only boost your stock. Because no one's taking that you know, first pick with the guy who is a complete rebuild. Nobody's putting money into that, but – if you have a good idea of how to throw strikes, what makes you tick? So that way when someone comes to you and says, hey, here's what we're going to do, you at least have the understanding of going, oh, that doesn't work for me. Or, yeah, I've done that before, and it really helps me out. If you're a high school kid listening to this, you need to go back and, and listen to that again because you you need to be on, like you were saying, one end of the spectrum. It, it's it's okay to be that that kid that is very athletic and, and maybe doesn't have the off-speed but somewhere in the middle isn't 
isn't going to get picked up is, is what I'm kind of taking away from re- you, right? Mm-hmm. If you're pounding the strike zone as a high school senior and sure, maybe you need to add a little strength and velocity. That's, that's still going to be, uh, you're still going to be a player that a team is willing to, to take on and, and help build you and develop you. And then I guess it just stays the same throughout, um, you know, at the college level. And then when you get to the professional level, it, it's kind of a similar progression, just in different, different levels. So it, it obviously the talent, the talent keeps yeah. getting better yeah. and better and, and the room for air gets smaller and smaller, but at the, at the base of it all, the structure, the foundation of it all, if you are developed, but you need a little more velo or you need a little bit more, um, a little bit more strength, somebody will take you and do that. If you are developed as far as athletically and throwing the absolute piss out of the ball, somebody's going to help you develop that change up or that off speed. So be on, be on one side of the spectrum, try to try to get to one side. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's always yeah. something to yeah. improve on at yep. the end of the day. And you'll, you'll always either you or the coach will find, find something for you to work on. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I wanted to get back. You already kind of went into how armcare.com started when you were, when you were coaching and um, the idea started, could you go deeper into that? Like what, what your thought process was when you were like, what, wait, like we have something here that we can, we can build when, when, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know, Armcare itself, the original idea of the company Armcare.com has been around for over a decade um, with, with uh, Dugan Moran, who's the owner of Crossover. When he started messing with all these different dynamometers and they had had a rough outline of what the product was. Um, and they had met with Ryan because they knew that we were running dynamometry. We had a huge thing. Um, it's called the Kangatech. Great device if you have the money to afford one. They're not cheap by any stretch of the means, but you can't take them with you on the road. And what we were having the issue with when we were with the Angels was monitoring when our players are on the road. And you know, I'll put it up on the camera. This is our device. It fits in a bag. It's super small. You can jam it in a pocket, whatever you need to do. And it runs on AAA batteries, and it measures it over 100 hertz. So it's a pretty accurate device for what it's doing. Um, and it doesn't take a practitioner. So we were looking for all these things, and they had had a different dynamometer at the time. And they had come to Ryan. They met with Ryan, and Ryan said, look, we have to get a little bit more on this. And we're, we're learning about the system. We're doing all these things. And then at that time, our contract had ended. And I had already kind of decided I wasn't going to be going back uh, with the Angels. Me and my wife had you know, just had a kid. And we were discussing a whole bunch of things. We kind of thought something else may be a little uh, better at that time. Uh, and through those conversations, we got connected with Dugan. And Dugan said, look, we need someone to teach people how to use this. So me and Ryan came on board and kind of revamped the outlay of the, uh, the, the outline of the app. Before it was just like, hey, here's your strength, here's some training. And then we started taking that information and going, well, here's what we were looking at with the angels and what me and Ryan were finding in terms of our own private research. And again, I going back to 2007 with the NPA, we were doing a ton of dynamometry research with really old units. So we were taking some of that stuff um, that we had done and we had Tom on our podcast and discussed a little bit of that as well. But we were looking at how the arm responds to pitch totals. Because not 50, 50 pitches is not the same as 50 pitches. So just because I threw 50 pitches last week doesn't mean I'm going to respond the same this week. You know, weather's different. My nutrition's different. My sleep's different. Body's going to respond differently. So we're able to take that information and, and determine exactly how taxing an event was. So now if you really want to get into your player development aspect and make the most out of what you're doing, understanding how your body bounces back and how your body has responded to an event 
Now you're able to build out a, an actual routine, a seven-day window, a five-day window, you know, 72-hour swing. If you're in the minor leagues, whatever it may be, you can take that data and not only get a personalized conditioning plan for it, but we took all that information and kind of dialed it into an app that's usable for the individual to make the most of their career. And if they don't know how to dive in deep into the fresh exam data and the post-exam data, we have something called the arm primer that takes like 47 seconds. And it legitimately just tells you, hey, throw more. Don't don't do anything different or throw less. And it's just like, yeah. this is how simple we made this thing to use. But that's also why we've had a really good, you know, positive feedback on this. And, you know, whether people love him or hate him, you see Trevor Bauer on his videos using a dynamometer. It's different than ours. But then he's running this thing through an Excel sheet and doing all this stuff. He's like, oh, yeah. today's a light throw day. Yeah. Ours does it all for you, you know, because we've done all the sports science and all the the propeller head math for you. So that way you can just go out there and play the game. I actually had to look this up, but can you just give a quick definition of dynamometry? Yeah, it's, it's a strength tester is the easiest way to look at it. Is it's a, you know, if they're watching it on the yep. video, you can see there's this little pad on there and that thing, when you push it into a wall and we use, there's, there's two types of, of dynamometry when it comes to force testing is there's isometric and then there's brake force. We use isometric. Um, and what that means is you're pressing isometrically into a wall and brake force is where, you know, this would be, if you're testing me, this, you'd have it in your hand, you put it on my wrist and I would resist against you and you would press on me and then you're breaking force until that. And that's going to give us our peak force reading. The issue with that is athletes don't like it. And you see sometimes athletes end up getting hurt doing that. And then also the practitioner, it requires a lot of skill on their end. So all of a sudden, if you are, you know, if you have two athletic trainers and that athletic trainer tests you on Monday and then the next guy tests yeah. you on Friday, they're two very separate readings where all of a sudden it looks like maybe you're way stronger and you're not. Where if I'm pressing on this, where I'm at in Salt Lake, it's going to be the same as me pressing on a wall in Salt Lake as if I have a game in, you know, Southern California and I'm pressing on a wall in Southern California that isometric is going to be based on me pushing on that, that fixed object. So that's why we like isometric testing better, but dynamometer is just simple term for a strength tester. <laughs> you know, if, if, if they had no idea, if this was like their first introduction to baseball. I just wanted them to, to, to understand what we were talking about. <laughs> and you touched on simplicity a lot. And that's something that I, I like to add into baseball too. I, I think sometimes with all of the advancements in technology or all of the, just the progression of, of the game and analytically and mechanically wise. And I think sometimes it gets overwhelming for players. Something I see in arm care is it's a simple thing to use. Like you said, um, it, it's, so, you know, you have something that tells you throw less, throw more, throw the same. Uh, so I was just curious on if, if you could go into how sometimes and, and with your background, even I know you've gotten deep down, down rabbit holes, which, which we, we need to, we need in order to improve in baseball. But if you've ever seen sometimes where just simplifying the stuff can, can be an advancement in, in performance to somebody who, who might be a little overwhelmed. Yeah. So and this is, again, another thing we have discussions on is everyone thinks that people need to use this high-end sports science language. And I have a master's degree in kinesiology. It does me no good of using complex words if the player I'm coaching or the person I'm trying to educate doesn't understand. 
It's just like if a mechanic comes over to me and starts using all these car terms, I'm like, I know how to put gas in it and turn it on. That's what I can do with a car. It doesn't help me if this mechanic's like, you know, your such and such needs to be changed on this and that. It's like, look, you're either strong or you're weak. That's what we've boiled this down to. On the days that you're strong, let's do more because your nervous system is primed. You're ready to learn that skill. If your strength is down, do less. (laughs) So we give these simple just aspects. It's like, hey, and even our post exam, it's like a battery. Is the battery full or is it more drained? The battery's more drained. Tomorrow needs to be more recovery-based. Get the battery back to full. If it was not a taxing day, do more tomorrow. You didn't drain the battery. We need to get adaptation. So we've boiled this thing down to be as simple as we possibly can think about making it. And we have some other stuff coming out to hopefully make things simpler in the future. Still running through some product testing and things like that. But we want to make sure that everyone can run this. And the reason we want everyone to run it is we don't want there to be language barriers. So it's very visual. Um, so we have a huge, um, uh, acceptance in actual Latin America, which is, that's a tough population to get into just because the language barrier. So we have it to be very visual. Um, it's designed to be run. We have a lot of 10 year olds running it as well. We want it to be where mom can give it to the kid and go, I know this is going to help take care of your arm and I don't need to worry about you, you know, getting thrashed up in the next tournament. And then we have, obviously guys saw it in, uh, uh, Mike Lorenzen's locker. Uh, on Twitter after he threw his extremely good game you know, roughly a month and a half ago, he had his arm care sensor and people were tagging us on Twitter. Like, oh, hey, look what we found in his locker. Arm care is in his locker. So it's being used from the big leagues through the little leagues because it's just easy to use. It's actionable and it's something that gives you some feedback and, and it lets you know how do we actually adjust your day. So we try to make things as simple as possible to where, you know, in the, in the early get-go of it, you know, you had to have this chart. It was a complex way to measure. And we've had a couple of people yeah. reach out and go, look, my kid's not testing perfectly. And he goes, but you're testing against your kid. So even if it's in imperfect testing form, but he's testing consistent, he's testing against himself. So you're getting a decent read. And that's what kind of makes this thing stand out too, is we've simplified it so much that whether you're a 10-year-old or a 35-year-old who's, you know, working on just hanging into the big leagues for a few more years – it's going to be applicable depending on how deep you want to go down that rabbit hole of data. I mean, this is kind of a life life lesson through through armcare.com right now is is if you are overwhelmed or um, if if you're thinking that you need to do these crazy things, sometimes boiling it down is a is a great way to just to figure out a way through. So, um, as Jordan's saying, right, whether you're a 10-year-old, whether you're a professional major league pitcher, like if we, if you boil the things down and, and do the, do the small things right and simplify it, you're probably going to come out on the other side if you're consistent with, with some success. So it, it, sometimes the baseball world can get very overwhelming with the language. And that's, that's why I'm, I'm really, um, really pleased with everything that armcare.com does is, is just because it's so simple. It's so so easy and accessible to people who don't have all the resources that that some teams and people might have. Um, I I mean I can mm-hmm. can relate to having not a lot of resources. I'm I'm from Vermont, so a lot of the kids in Vermont, um, when they get out of Vermont and go to other states, they're like they're blown away by the the technology that baseball has to offer. Like we, uh, I don't think I I ever saw a radar gun until my freshman year in college. So I was, um, I was, I was a little bit taken away by actually knowing how hard I was throwing. So again, like 
to the guys who are listening to this from Vermont, or it doesn't have to be Vermont. It can be a small place wherever you are and you don't have the greatest resources. I mean, this thing is unbelievable. You don't need, like, you literally need a wall. Everyone has a wall. I promise you every, I mean, I, I, I think everyone can find a wall somewhere. Right. So, so like go in the dugout, like before the game, like two minutes. So I, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I can let you touch on it too, but I just wanted to, to let the viewers have an understanding of, of, you know, how, how important this is for players that, you know, don't have the resources. Uh, for instance, if you don't have a pitching coach or you have very few limited resources available to you, this could be a, a game changer because your pitching coach isn't there telling you, if you don't have a pitching coach, he's not telling you how hard to, th- how far to throw, what to throw. And that's, that's questions that I get a lot yeah. um, back home. Like, Oh, how, how hard do you, th- or how far do you throw today? How, how far should I throw tomorrow? And, and I try to give the best answer I can, but, but this is just, again, taking the guessing game away. And, and if you don't have a pitching coach, this is something you can do three minutes after school to know what you should be throwing for the day. So maybe you could, maybe you could expand on that or maybe I covered it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things we always like to say is more is not better. Better is better. And one of the big things just on the simplicity of it is people go, well, why don't you have all these lower body screens? Why don't you check this? Why don't you check that? Can you add this? Can you do this? And go, well, we could, but if we don't have to, what's the point? And that's what we found is when we're measuring the shoulder, not just in the pro populace, not just in the college populace, but in the, in the youth, youth populace as well, when we're seeing fatigue in the shoulder and it's a continual thing, there's usually something that's happened on the lower extremity already. So it's going to show up because that fatigue in the lower body yep. is going to cause movement compensation. So if we can keep the shoulder ready to go and, and strong and we adjust our full body workload based on what the shoulder's doing, we are going to keep that athlete healthy. Right now we have almost 30,000 users in our database. We have two reported surgeries. <laughs> yeah. And we have our money back. If you have a surgery and you follow yeah. our system, we will give you your money back. One of the guys who had the surgery, he went to college. Nobody else was using it. He was in a small school up in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And he was like, well, my coach doesn't yep. even want me using this. So yep. I'm going to stop. And then he got hurt. And then the other guy who was using it, he was using it perfect. He ended up getting, I think it was, I think it was Tommy John that he ended up getting. And even if you're crossing at the sidewalk, yep. you know, there's, there's a chance of getting hit by a car. He did everything perfect. Sometimes you're going to get struck by lightning, you know? And then outside of that, we have seven soft tissue injuries of, you know, flexor mass strains or whatever it may be. So if we were a normal system, we should have five out of every hundred of our athletes needing a surgery and roughly 50% of our athletes having something that shut them down for the season. So we've been doing really good on the numbers and, you know, through that testing of the range of motion, then we go internal, external scaption and grip using that information. The system builds out customized training for you. So if you and I are both on the system, you know, my issue when I test my arm out is scaption strength. So straight lever, you know, eccentric work. Sure. Let's say yours is internal rotation strength. My post-throw training is going to be different yep. than yours because number one, we're different people and maybe I'm a reliever, you're a starter. So we need to have different throwing program or uh, post-throw training and we have different resistance of bands. So based on your strength data, it's going to tell you which band to use, which exercises that varies every single day based on what you've been entering into the system. And it customizes your training to make sure you're not overtraining, to make sure you're not undertraining, and even equally important, to make sure you're not training into an imbalance. And one of the big things I learned real quickly when I first got into being a pitching coach at a small university was you're <laughs> the strength coach, yeah. you're everything. 
So when I implement my stuff, I have my general training program. Yep. 50% of my athletes got better. 25% stayed the same. 25% got worse. And you go, well, what's going on here? And that's where all of a sudden we started getting in with the MPA, looking at dynamometry, looking at strength data. And then all of a sudden you go from 50% getting better to 65. And instead of 25% getting worse, you narrow that down to 20. And the goal is you want those guys who are staying the same. That's the If that's your worst case outcome is they didn't get any worse, <laughs> they didn't get any better, that's a good thing. Yeah. You want them to get better though is the goal. So that's the thing is the system is going to take all that information out to where the reason those players are getting worse is because from your strength strength programming, you've actually trained them into an imbalance if you're not testing where it is. Because if you're going heavy backside training, which is pretty common in baseball, but you have a lot of guys that are already strong on right. the backside, you've made that player worse. Right. Yeah. You actually put his elbow at yeah. risk by building up too much ER strength. Because people don't realize it's actually your eccentric phase of your internal rotators that slow the arm down into external rotation. So there's a whole lot of these things that, you know, people wonder why. Why are you testing IR strength? Isn't it about ER? Yeah, IR helps protect that elbow. You got to take care of the elbow. That's what everybody's hurting right now because we're not using um, data when we're testing our athlete, when we're training our athletes. We're assuming that everybody's got the same imbalances. We're assuming that everyone has the same weakness. And we have these generic yep. programs that are very backside dominant. Yep. And then next thing you know, we're thrashing up elbows. So once we started using the system and conditioning in that one-to-one ratio and getting guys balanced, now we got rid of shoulder, we got rid of elbow, and we started seeing some really good performance improvements. Um, so that's kind of one of the things that we do is, you know, you are mentioning if you don't have that pitching coach, you don't have a strength coach, whatever it is, yeah. is that's what we have that custom training for. Is if you are living, you know, in the middle of nowhere, Iowa, you your dad is a farmer, which I have a ton of athletes yeah. that call and they go, hey, you know what? I run a yeah. farm. I don't have time to teach my kids these things. The nearest pitching coach sure. is four hours away from where we live. We have a Walmart like 30 yep. minutes away. We don't have access to this stuff. Will this help? They call me back three months later. They go, my kid's gained like nine miles an hour. Yeah. He's training on a regular basis, and he just needs yeah. to strap these things on the door. So it's a difference maker. It makes it easy, and that's one of the things we want to do is give kids access to high-quality training high-quality MLB-style monitoring regardless of where it is you're living. I, I really like that you ch- you touched on right at the beginning of that um, explanation. It was just talking about you You could do all these other things. You could do a lower body screen. You could do um, you know, a, a, a movement screen in their hips or their rotation in their hips or external internal rotation in their hips, but but you're keeping it the same. Like it, it's, it's the same thing every time. So, so, mm-hmm. you know, I I'm huge on when I talk to players just about everything that they do off the field is also going to affect their performance on the field. It's all interconnected. So their performance mm-hmm. on the field is going to be affected by the choices they make in nutrition, the choices that they make in sleep, the choices that they, um, make with their friends, like relationships, all of those choices add up and, and can affect your physical, your physical and your mental state and your mental state can affect how you're feeling physically. So all of those things, it's hard to track all those Mm -hmm. things, but you know, you come into the day and say you had some stress from, you know, your girlfriend or you had stress from these different things. Now, instead of being like, Oh, is my, is my like shoulder stress because of my stress on my girlfriend. And because I, I didn't eat, like, I didn't have a great breakfast be like, Oh, okay. I'm going to put my arm against the wall. Okay. Yeah. Like my, my shoulder is a little bit stressed or something like that. So it's, everything is interconnected. So 
just because just because your lower body or or your upper body is feeling good that day doesn't necessarily mean that that's that's what the nervous system nervous system is going to tell you yeah and then I'm, i'm gonna give two quick stories hopefully they're quick because i can ramble but to give you an example on that is, you know, I had a, a freshman that I was building up and anyone who's listening to this right now is like, oh, I've heard this story before. Whenever I called Jordan, this is the same thing you told me on why it's important to monitor these things. But when we're building these guys up, you know, their first outing is like, you know, 20 pitches and then 35. And then once they get into two simulated innings, I like them to go a 20 pitch with a break and then a 20 pitch with a break and see how their body responds before we push them. And I'm going to do that twice just because from my experience, when you go from that that two innings going into the three, everyone's just like, oh, they went two innings. We can go three next time. And it doesn't really work that way. And here's the example of why. So he does his test. He does his fresh exam. His strength is looking great. He throws his 40 pitches. We do his post exam. He lost 7% strength. And I actually have a video filmed on this somewhere. Our social media person put it out somewhere. I'll, I'll have to try to find it and send it to you. But he lost 7% strength. So I know his days one through four are going to look very normal for what he does. Day four, he's throwing his bullpen. We do his fresh exam. He's gained strength. He looks really good. So all of a sudden, he goes into day seven, throwing that next simulated 40-pitch uh, outing. Strength is still good. He throws 40 pitches. He loses 23 or 27% strength. I forget the exact number. Same workload, but I know that now he's lost a ton of, ton of strength. He felt good, but this kid was gassed. So it's good we didn't go to three innings because if we did, we probably would have set this kid yeah. back three or four weeks with some kind of injury. But seeing how fatigued he was, now I know day one's a mandatory no throw with really good recovery modalities. Day two is going to be that arm primer, seeing if it tells me to do what you need to, increase or decrease, and then go right back into it, and then we, do, we, we rinse and repeat. So being able to monitor that, and that's why pitch counts themselves are they're a piece of the puzzle, but they're a very, very small piece of the puzzle. It's how we responded to those pitch counts that allow us to prep this athlete. And then to give another example is I had a reliever who he was, he was in AAA, and he was needing to go back-to-back with his organization. He'd been in the big leagues before. He had just picked up on a free agent deal, and it was early on in the season. They said, unless you go back-to-back, you do not get to go to the big leagues with this organization. And he's like, look, I just threw yesterday. I threw one, one and a third, threw 23, 24 pitches, but I feel like I've been hit by a truck. He's like, they told me I need to be active tonight. What do I tell them? I said, get a fresh exam in. So he warms up, gets his fresh exam in. His strength is almost the exact same. I go, I can think of about 700,000 reasons to pitch tonight. You're fresh, you're recovered. You just don't feel good. Sometimes you got to go to work with a headache. So I had one instance where a young athlete feels great, but he's lost 27% strength. He's on the verge of an injury. I have an older athlete who feels like he's been hit by a truck, but his strength is great. Yeah, one of you guys, even though you feel good, you're not ready to pitch. The other guy, he feels fantastic or feels horrendous. He, He is ready to pitch. So feel versus real. And that's why we want to use that sensor to, to quantify how it is we're doing. And I mean, I pitched, I, I showed up to the ballpark every day knowing I was one bad outing away from getting released. So I, every day yeah. I showed up, they matter. Hey, how do yeah. you feel today? I'm, I'm good. If you need me, I'm ready to go. And then he turns around and go, Oh my gosh, yeah. hopefully he doesn't call on me. And it's the same with a lot of guys. They know that if they say they're not ready to they're pitch, done. they get passed over and they're, they're off the roster. So, you know, this is a good way to quantify how you're feeling. And then the goal of it is obviously to keep building that uh, intensity up as you go. This last section of the podcast that I want to get into is more, um, I guess, youth baseball oriented. Um, that's something that I've, I've been thinking a lot about lately as I see all these showcase and travel, travel ball organizations pop up. 
literally everywhere in the U.S. Now mm-hmm. even Vermont isn't safe anymore. So uh, I'm curious, you know, your advice to two-way players. And this, I guess this could be high school too. You don't, I don't see a lot of two-way players in college. There is two-way players in a college, but um, mostly I think of, you know, younger kids mm-hmm. or high schoolers. But, you know, for the two-way players, how, how do you – how do you go about regulating your throwing and, and keeping your arm ready for the mound if you're playing shortstop and uh, pitching that day? Like what, you know, how do you, how do you go about regulating? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So this is something that I've had to learn a lot on recently. Um, after leaving pro ball, I was out of the team aspect of it for about a year and a half. And I just was antsy. I like to be involved in team and locally yep. there was a, there was a high school that, you know, opened up a head coaching role. So I took it really small baseball school. I mean, our, we play in the, the biggest division of uh, our state of Utah, which is the six a um, division. So we're a big school for football, but for baseball, I'm lucky if I have 14 kids on the roster. So it's like, I'm hoping I have 14 kids show up. So for me, they're all two way players. And it's like, Hey, if you, do you pitch? No, yeah. I've, I've never picked. Well, you do now. I hate to break it to you because we need guys to pitch. So it's the same way. If it's that shortstop and he pitches for me on a Tuesday, I'm going to test that guy out, and if he's not recovered, he's now maybe DHing, or maybe he's got to be a first baseman for the day and limit those throws. Or, you know, if it is my, you know, my catcher was yep. a pitcher as well last year, so people don't realize how much catchers throw. And even if they're not a two-way player, you got to monitor your catchers because they throw more than all your pitchers combined. So for me, it's about monitoring the practice volumes to make sure that there's never a need to limit in game. So by doing that, you're able to go. You know, your two-way player, and the way that I use it for my guys is in Utah, we play Tuesday, Wednesdays, Fridays. So once the season started, I'm doing that uh, test on uh, Mondays. When we show up to practice, they're getting a fresh exam in, all my position players. And if their strength is good, we're going to do some light throwing across the diamond. Normal throwing program, wherever we have planned on the day, and they're going to throw lightly across the diamond. We still have to do those skill throws, but if their strength is down, now we're not doing skill throws from a position. I'm going to save those bullets for tomorrow to give them time to recover. And if their strength is down, instead of them getting the option for that long toss, they're going to be capped at 90 feet. So it's all about managing the practice and managing your training to make sure they're not overtaxed by the time the game rolls around. It takes a couple extra minutes every day, but it keeps your players healthy and it keeps them moving forward. And what we've even seen is obviously there's a lot of that, you know, internal and external uh, rotation work with the bat. We've actually seen exit velocities increase we're, we're still pulling some data from some of our colleges we work with, um, but they've seen exit velocities increase. They've seen back control, swing and miss go down because they're fixing strengths and range of motions and they're going to get better back control. So it's teaching a lot of that stuff in there. So for the two-way side of it, it's just as important. And I don't know much about hitting, yeah. but from my experience, yeah. it's been just as important to monitor those guys as it is my pitchers. Um, purely because it's like, hey, if I have two guys, you know, you're my first guy out of the pen, your strength is down a little bit, but you're also my number one shortstop, I'm actually going to move you to second and lessen your throws because I need to use you in the sixth inning when it's a little bit more more of a vital scenario. So hopefully I explained that all right. I want to go even younger than high school because high school, right, I guess I guess there's more of a it's, it's more seen in society as okay to start like lifting in high school or strengthening in high school. Maybe there's mixed feelings about that in you know, a youth baseball. So what are your thoughts on youth baseball kids? Cause I have parents ask me all the time, um, like, Oh, what should he be doing for strengthening his arm? And, and I really, I, when I was coming up in youth baseball, I didn't, I didn't like do anything to strengthen my arm. I kind of just threw and, and, and played the game. 
So, you know, is that something that needs to be monitored? Do we need to have youth kids strengthening their arms or is it okay to just play all different sports and just be a kid and be athletic? And then, you know, it goes from there. Yeah. Number one, if you're playing yeah. multiple sports, play multiple sports. It's athleticism at its yep. root. Um, there is a point where you're going to have to specialize. You know, there's not too many people who can play multiple yep. sports, even at the collegiate level and be really successful with it. Um, so stay a multi-sport athlete as long as you can. Now with that, you know, even my, my guys that I have uh, playing for me at the high school, they're going to be playing basketball, football, wrestling, play those sports. But what I do is I encourage them to make sure they stay on the custom training in the app. And the reason for that is even with the younger athletes, we'll go, you know, 10 years old. That's kind of when we recommend, you know, kids are getting serious enough about doing something. 10 years old is kind of what we recommend. We have some eight-year-olds running it, which you got to be committed to be eight years old and doing, doing the system. But if you're 10, the reason we want you doing that is now it gives you your 10-year-old, 11-year-old, and most of your 12-year-old year before you move into that 13 where they increase the basis. And that's the number one injury point for kids getting hurt. And the reason for that is it's where they're at their peak growth phase. So all of a sudden you wake up one day and you're three inches taller. Or, you know, every single day that kid wakes up at that age range, is there a whole new human being pretty much when it comes down to it? And they don't remember how to scratch their elbow. So we want to make sure that strength is there because that's where movement inconsistencies occur. And if they're moving inconsistently and things are off, that's where injury happens. And then you're also having these bones that are growing. They're not fully solidified. They're soft. And that's where you start seeing a lot of these issue happens on soft tissue, bone fractures, little eager elbows where the bone's splitting and different things like that. So we want to make sure that the muscles can support whatever stress is going to be going on there, even if you're a multi-sport athlete. So that's why we like young kids to get on there. Even if it's three days a week, two days a week, it's better than doing nothing when it comes down to it because you need to have the strengths uh, base and that foundation set. So that way, as you get to those bigger throws, you get to longer mound distances, you start throwing harder. You know, because some kids you'll throw hard and you'll have a weak arm. And that's where a lot of those problems occur is the kid who throws hard or the kid who throws strikes is going to be the one who gets used the most at those lower levels, at those young ages, because they're the ones who can go to post and be competitive. They're not walking guys. They're not hitting players, not giving up a ton of hits, whatever it may be. So therefore, they're the ones who naturally get hurt the most at the highest rate. And it, you need to take care of those arms. So even if you're not lifting weights and you're not doing those things like that, Get in there. Obviously, the crossover bands, you know, we have varying resistances. The Arm Care app tells you exactly which resistance to use. You know, if you don't want to use the premium, we have the free version of the app, which still gives you that customized training because that's how much we feel it's important. We're giving people yep. the app for free because we want them to have a healthy arm. So they can go in there. They can test. It's going to tell you exactly what it is you need to do. And you have a, a, a workout program you can take with you anywhere so long as you have access to the Internet. And we're giving it to them for free in the app. They just need to be able to have access to a sensor. To go off of that, I'm curious about your thoughts because you're obviously advocating for multiple sports. So I want to know if that means mm -hmm. if the, you know, the 10 to 12 year olds are, are stopping throwing, like at some point, are they stopping throwing? How long does that look? Because with something that I've seen, especially in New England in the last couple of years, maybe five, 10 years is facilities being built teams um teams travel teams popping up almost any town and how how long should they be throwing because there's opportunity and accessibility to do it year round now so how long should they be be throwing with 
with the baseball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we advocate. So we have a uh, we actually have a whole bunch of mini courses that we just released, and they're kind of designed around helping those all ages. You know, we keep our our number one buyer of our courses uh, for our mini courses right now has actually been collegiate and professional athletics, but they're designed for helping the youth to be able to train themselves when it comes down to it. Um, but we're getting great feedback from the pro side. So maybe we actually need to simplify those courses and keep making them easier, but we're getting great feedback from all the groups that are running. We have our throwing program and we like a minimum of a 16 week buildup before you start your season. So obviously work backwards based on your age. And if you're going to be a competitive, you know, year round player, and I say that in air quotes for the people who are not watching on the, on the video, four to six weeks of a no throw period. And in that four to six weeks, we like two weeks where you don't even look at a baseball. Yeah. You don't even think about baseball. You do nothing. Just decompress. And then we have two weeks where you start training and you start working on those imbalances that you've built over the last season. And then you have two weeks to where you're adding in a little bit more intensity if you're doing the six weeks. And then you can start your throwing program up. And when we say a throwing program, most people think, oh, I go right into long toss and I start getting on the mound. I can face hitters on week three. No. You have to build up. You have to monitor, and you have to make sure that things are going well. And to give an example of this is with my incoming freshmen, when we start our fall training is we have a four-week no-throw period. And I give them two weeks where we do nothing, and then we train for two weeks. We'll do some ground balls, do some defensive work. We'll hit BP and do all those things, and then we'll start our throwing. One of the kids comes back, and just from that deload period, he's throwing three miles an hour harder already, and he goes, I just figured your arm was supposed to hurt every throw you make. He was just so inflamed. He never gave himself a chance to recover <laughs> that he didn't realize it's yeah. not normal to be in pain. And most kids don't know that. They think that it's just normal. They're like, oh, it's supposed to be a little bit uncomfortable when you throw because I'm getting after it. It's like it shouldn't hurt to throw the baseball. You know, It should be an enjoyable experience when it comes down to it. So th- th- we, we do recommend an off time. Um, our mini course goes way more in-depth on it yeah. on, than what I just explained, and it gives some science behind it and a whole bunch of other information. Um, but we also have those mini courses like during that time, like we have one on nutrition and it's like, we're huge advocates of putting the right fuel in your body because arm care is not just strengthening your arm. It's making sure you have the building blocks of the right nutrition to make sure you can strengthen your arm. It's about getting the right amount of sleep, you know? And again, we have courses on all this stuff. We call it our, uh, major league performance habits course. And again, you can take this if you're 10 years old and start learning this stuff when you're younger on why sleep's important. Why not looking at Instagram on your phone till two in the morning is bad for you, you know, and all these things. Obviously, listen to this podcast on your phone, but don't go scrolling through Instagram. That kind of what I think about that is when I say like performances is what what everything you do, like it's, again, bringing back the interconnected piece of it. Arm care is not just the exercises you do for two minutes a day. Arm care is who you are. I mean, that's, that's what I'm going to boil. I'm going to boil it down and be simple, simple with it. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's what you do. Same thing with performance. It's not just the the yeah. training that you do for two hours. It's not just the throwing session. It's everything. So, mm-hmm. so you can have a great performance. Um, sorry, you can have a great yes. lifting session. You can have a great throwing session. You can have a great exercise session with your, you know, with your bands and your crossover symmetry bands. But if you're not doing the other things, then something might, you know, I mean, there's always a chance that you have an injury and there's always a chance that things don't yes. go the way you want them to, but you're giving yourself a better chance if, if you do the other thing. So it's all about 
you know, just being, if you can grow as a person and, and be a little bit better each day as a person, the player side, the, the person you are is connected to the player you are. So, so keep, keep growing as a person, keep growing as a yep. player. They're both interconnected. And, and I, the last, last baseball question I have before I get to rapid fire is I want you to either debunk or, um, or confirm the, the curveball myth with uh, younger kids what are your what are the so yep i get i we ask that a lot is it good or bad for your arm throwing in general is bad for your arm so you know but the most stressful pitch you're going to throw is your fastball because it's going to be your hardest thrown pitch and the faster you throw something you know we have this um yep you know work uh, or velocity to stress ratio that you know for every yep. one mile an hour you, you gain you're going to add x amount of yep. newton meters to your arm so if i throw harder i'm going to put more stress on my arm and there's plenty of research that shows a curveball puts less stress on the arm but with that you also have time on tension because your arm's moving slower you're actually keeping more time on tension yep. with it so it's a different type of stress even though it's less it's still a stressful so a curveball thrown incorrectly yeah. is extremely bad on your arm where you're yeah twisting and torquing and turn the doorknob, whatever it may be, extremely bad on your arm when it comes down to it. And we put it on some sensors and mess with those things. And it's really bad. But if you throw them right, it is the least stressful pitch you're going to throw. But the time on tension is going to be longer. So I'm a firm believer that there is no such thing as a bad pitch to throw on your arm. Now, there's some that are more risky than others. Like, for instance, cutters. You're taking a breaking ball wrist position with fastball arm speed. Those ones do put more stress on your arm which is why you need to have a very good basis of strength and not in a hundred percent of players, but in a good majority of them, we have seen it as you balance the shoulder and build strength, Newton meters of force on the arm actually go down. So now all of a sudden we're throwing harder with less stress. So that's always a good way to keep yourself healthy is you're going to be able to add more, you know, you know, bullets and more longevity to that body and less stress means you're probably going to fatigue less, which means you're going to be able to throw more and practice more with less risk of injury. Hopefully I think I answered it. <laughs> yeah now we're gonna get into the rapid fire question so the one thing that you couldn't prepare for so whatever comes to not come on to mind first so Perfect. favorite book oh gosh um i gotta just pick one um if you're looking at it from a from a from a yep. mindset standpoint Anything by Jocko Willing is always good. You can learn a ton of lessons. And then I like uh, Outliers. I like uh, Talent Code. I know you said to pick one. Um, gosh. And then I just actually um, – there's one I did on uh, – Bob Kais has the biomechanics. I want to read the biomechanics. I really like that one just because I read it recently. So I gave like six, but <laughs> – Yeah, that one's pretty new too. He just came out with that one too. Favorite, mem favorite memory from baseball and then favorite memory from outside of baseball. Favorite memory in baseball was coaching, um, where I was able to uh, we, we uh, coached in the World Series for the NAI, and that was an awesome experience. We played the first game, and they were assigning, you know, elementary schools to come and cheer your team on. So we had a like a home home crowd, even though we we're in a different state. And that's my favorite one inside of baseball. Uh, favorite one outside of baseball, getting married was always good. So that was always a positive. This one I usually ask to athletes, but I'll I'll you you're an athlete, so I'll ask it to you too. Have you ever been in flow state and can you describe it? 
Yeah, so I was in there once, and it was uh one of, and it was in pro ball, and it almost feels like you're not even there, and just no matter what it is you do, yeah. you're just executing pitches, and it's I don't know, it's it's a tough one to describe because we actually worked with a company called Focus Band, um, and we were involved with their stuff, and they taught us how to get into flow state. So I still use a Focus Band, I still train with a Focus Band. Um, they're awesome because it teaches you. We call it motion, which is that mind of no mind. So it teaches you how to activate yep. which part of your brain. And to get into those good focal points. So I still use it with my athletes and sometimes they can click in there, but it's something you can learn and you know, focus band, it's an expensive product, but it's a good one to train with if All you right. have to find it. Uh, what is what is something uncomfortable that you want to start doing in order to grow? That's putting you on the spot. Maybe you haven't thought about it, but now you're gonna think about Oof. it. Um so for me I need to get back okay. into lifting. I've been doing I need to get back to that. I don't okay. like lifting at all. Brian you're listening. I'm sure you know that I'm like, I don't freaking like lifting, but I need to do it. So that's, it, it's uncomfortable, but I need to lift more. Uh, most valued non-material possession. Non-material. Uh, gosh, I, I would have to say, say my dog goes with me everywhere. I would say, you know, he's going to be dead in a couple of years, but you know, he's pretty good. Uh, something you often forget you're grateful for. Oh gosh, just yep. living in America. I mean, our biggest problem is traffic. <laughs> you know, like that's causing fights on the street. You know, we're, we're gonna come on there and talk yeah, about baseball. That's true. And our biggest problem is like, oh gosh, what's going on? I mean, our homeless people are obese. Yeah. We got it pretty good. Um, let's see, last two. So, best life lesson that baseball has taught you? You're gonna screw up, and if you're gonna screw up, learn quick and move on, because you're gonna you're gonna make a lot best, of mistakes. Best uh, or advice to your five year old self is the last one. Don't don't be afraid to make mistakes when it comes down to it. You're and you're you're always gonna be worried about what someone else thinks, but if you look back, you know, roughly for me, a five year old self, so thirty years ago, nobody remembers what I did when it comes down to it. When I screwed something up, I'm the one who remembers. No one else is really paying attention anyway. So get in there, be aggressive, make a mistake. And if you're going to do anything, do it very aggressively because you're the one you got to answer to at the end of the day. That's all I got today. I just want to give you time right now to let the listeners know where they can find you and more information. And, and I'll add links, um, obviously, in the in the comments and um, so they can find you there too. And there's also a 10% um, discount with the code PRIMALBASEBALL, P-R-I. M-A-L-B-S-B-L on armcare.com. But I just want, you know, you to, to let them know where they can find you. Yeah. And they can just enter that code at checkout for anything they want on armcare.com. It's free. your crossover stuff, the courses, the sensor, anything that's on there, you're going to be able to get that discount. Um, but they can find us, you know, Instagram, just armcare, uh, armcare.com, I believe. Uh, and then on YouTube, just type in armcare. We have our podcast on there where we have, you know, you know major league pitching coaches, you know, researchers, Tons of groups on there that really give some good stuff. I think we have close to 60 hours of free educational material just yep. on YouTube alone. Um, I know we're on TikTok. <laughs> I don't know how to get on TikTok, but we're on there somewhere. I think you can look us up there. Um, and then on Twitter, we're Armcare. Uh, and on Facebook, I believe we have a Facebook as well. But I don't do a lot of social media. People will learn really quick. Um, and then they can always just email us, jordanarmcare.com if you got questions. Shoot me an email. We'll, we'll be more than yeah. happy to Well, that's all we have for the podcast today. Jordan, thank you for coming on, and, and uh, thanks to everyone for listening. Yeah, thanks for having me.